If you would, open your Bibles to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. This will be our sixth lesson on our Lord's parables. So far, the parables we have looked at have been mostly concerned with the kingdom of heaven. If you remember from our introduction and, and, and subsequent lessons, we talked about this categor, categorization that we can make of the, of the parables, and there are several ways to do that, but one, uh, one very broad way of doing that is to, to break them down um, by type of uh, the kingdom of heaven. Those are the, those parables that are concerned with the kingdom of heaven. Those parables that are concerned with the king himself. And then those parables that are concerned with the members or the subjects of the kingdom. Like I said, a very broad way of breaking them down. But that's kind of the pattern we're following a little bit as we go through this. So tonight I'd like for us to start considering some of the parables about the king. Or that would be God himself. We'll see some of the characteristics that are displayed in the parables about our God. And we'll start by looking at the parable of the unmerciful servant that is recorded for us here in Matthew chapter 18. So if you're there, look with me in Matthew chapter 18. We'll read the parable here starting in verse 23. And then we'll come back and as we normally do, we'll look at some details about the parable. We'll look at the main lesson that the parable teaches us. And then we'll look at things that we can glean from that, things that we can apply in our own lives to this parable. So Matthew chapter 18, beginning verse 23. says, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, there was brought to him one who, who owed him 10,000 talents. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment to be made. The slave, therefore, falling down, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the lord of that slave felt compassion, and released him, and forgave him the debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves, who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell down and began to entreat him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. He was unwilling, however, but went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came to report to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave. I forgave you all the debt because you entreated me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave, even as I have had mercy on you? And his Lord, moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, and each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Here we have a lesson here. About a king. It says there in verse 23, For this reason the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a certain king. That helps us to understand what, that this parable is going to center around the king. And elements and, and characteristics of this king, of this lord, of this slave. So a certain king wants to settle his debts with his slaves. So he calls him in. And there's one of the slaves that owed him 10,000 talents. 
Now, this, this idea of a talent, I looked, did some research on this and it was kind of varied, but I put it in terms, hopefully, that we can kind of understand about this talent. Talent is a measure of weight. It's also considered to be a, a monetary value, a measure of weight of silver. So just to put some numbers to this, uh, in my Bible, in the, in the footnotes here, it says that a talent is equal to $1,000 in, in silver content. Now, the last publication of my Bible was 1977, so I don't know if those were 1977 numbers or what. But we'll use that for the sake of our argument. It's still going to make the same point as we go along. So if a talent is worth $1,000 in silver, then 10,000 talents is worth $10 million. This is how much the slave owed his master, $10 million. Keep in mind also this, a denarii is a day's wage. We know that from other, other parables and other teachings about a denarii being a day's wage. I think minimum wage is $8 an hour, somewhere around there. Let's round that up to $10 an hour. $10 an hour for an eight-day workday would be $80 a day. If you tried to pay off $10 million at $80 a day, it would take you 125,000 days to repay that money. And 125,000 days is 342 years. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of time. So however you decipher it, if you use other numbers, other weights, whatever, this is a big debt. This is a huge debt that the slave owed his master. So the king decrees, because he has such a large debt, that this slave be sold, him and his family and all his possessions, in order to pay back the debt. But the slave fell down and he pleaded with the king and he asked him to give him time in order to repay the debt. And the king felt compassion on him. And he released him and he forgave him his debt. What great compassion that, that is. And we'll talk about that when we make our application. So then the slave goes and he finds a fellow slave that owes him money. And he insists that this slave pay him back immediately. Now this slave owed to, to this unmerciful servant, the, the subject of our parable here, he only owed him a hundred denarii, which means a hundred days worth of wages. Compare that to the 125,000 days that the unmerciful servant owed his master. Think about the difference in that. So his fellow slave asked him the same thing that the unmerciful servant asked of the king. He said, give me time to pay it back. But he refused. He refused to show mercy on him as the, the king did with this other. And he threw him into prison. The other slaves saw what took place, saw what happened. They were, went and reported to the king what had taken place. And the king calls in the slave back to him. And he calls him wicked. He says, you are wicked. Ask him why he didn't forgive the debt of his fellow slave as he had forgiven his debt. So the king becomes angry and he turned him over to be punished and to repay the debt that he owed. That's the lesson. That's the earthly lesson. What's the spiritual uh, meaning that we get from this? Well, for this parable, once again, 
we have the Lord's explanation. We have the wonderful benefit of the Lord telling us what the parable means. Look in verse 35 again. It says, So shall my heavenly Father also do to you, if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Our Lord tells us about this parable. He tells us what it's about. It's about forgiveness. We must forgive our brothers and sisters if we expect to be forgiven by God. Look over in Matthew chapter 6. This is not a foreign concept. This is not a concept that's out of, uh, out of reach or out of character of the scripture. This is right in line with what Jesus had already taught. If we look over in Matthew 6, we look at what we, we deem the model prayer. Look what it says there in verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And then come down to verse 14. It says, For if you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. God expects our spiritual relationship with him to be reflected in our earthly relationships that we have here. Go over to Matthew chapter 22. Another familiar passage. Another very familiar teaching. Matthew 22, beginning in verse 36. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And he said to him, you shall love your Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. This is what God expects of us. Expects us to love him. That comes first. To love God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind. And the second one is like it. Meaning the love that we have for our neighbor needs to be like the love we have for God. So when we're talking about forgiveness, God expects us to forgive each other as he has forgiven us. There's a likeness there. There's a similarity there. He wants those two things to be similar. So how do we do that? What, how do we go about in this for forgiveness? We can talk about it. We can say it. Sometimes putting it in practice is not so easy. But let's go back in Matthew 18 and look at the context in which this parable is spoke. Back in Matthew 18, in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came and told him, or said to him, Lord, how often shall a brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but to seventy times seven. Isn't it interesting how this parable comes about and these numbers are already there. We have a comparison already. Seven, Peter asks. Jesus says no. Seventy times seven. So right there we have a, a, a great increase in the number, just like the 125,000 days versus the 100 days. Keep that comparison in your mind as we go forward. Seventy times seven. 
Peter's maybe thinking in his mind, this is speculation on my part. We can certainly read into that just a bit. Seven times. Seems like a nice round number. Lord, is it seven times? She's such a good audience participant. Lord says no, 70 times seven. Much greater than probably what Peter was thinking. Much greater than what he was thinking. Consider the huge debt of the amount that's owed, as we mentioned. The unmerciful slave or servant, he owed the 125,000 denarii. The other slave only owed 100. The great discrepancy in those two numbers. We can see the huge debt that the Lord is willing to forgive us versus the relatively small debt that we forgive each other. Romans 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have a debt of sin. And we know that that debt is big. That debt is in comparison to the 125,000 days, the 342 years it would take us to pay off that debt. It's the debt of sin. We are all debtors in the kingdom, and we rely completely on a merciful God to forgive us of that debt. None of us will live long enough to pay back that debt. 342 years in the context of our story. None of us are going to live long enough to pay back that debt. Romans 6 and verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we deserve because of our sin is death. But what God has given us through his mercy, he's given us the free gift of God, the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. So if we don't forgive this debt among ourselves, the consequences are dire. In Romans 1, verses 28 through 32, speaks of the kind of people that God turned over to their own depravity, these that were practicing evil and wicked things. And these received the due penalty of their error, it says there in verse 27 of Romans 1. And among that list of these people that are practicing this wickedness are the unmerciful. Find that in verse 31. Along with these in the, in the list are those who are full of envy and murder and strife, deceit, malice, gossip. There's a list of people that are practicing evil things. And among that list were those who were unmerciful. And it says they get the due penalty of their error. If we don't practice forgiveness, the Lord will not show us forgiveness. That's a sobering thought. The forgiveness that we rely on from our Heavenly Father is dependent on us forgiving each other. We are told in Scripture how to go about developing a forgiving attitude. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, it says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. When we look to Scripture, we can see examples and understand what it means to be forgiving. Colossians 3, and verse 13, says, bearing with one another, 
and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Jesus serves, as he so often does, as the ultimate example of what we're talking about. If we want to talk about forgiveness, we want to talk about what it means to be merciful, think about what God did through Jesus Christ. And that's our example. So we can talk about forgiveness. And we can read these scriptures. And we can know and understand that we are to forgive each other. And if we don't, the consequences are dire. But what about the forgetting part? We often kind of say tongue-in-cheek that I can forgive, but I'll never forget. You ever said that? You ever heard it said? Probably have. But is that really truly forgiving? Again, we look to God as the ultimate example here about forgiveness and forgetting. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 34, it says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sins I will remember no more. If we want to look to an example, again, God has set the example. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. This may seem like it's impossible for us as mortals, as mere men and women, to forget. But doesn't it, shouldn't it be that we try? Shouldn't it be that we try to forget? Paul was adamant about forgetting things in his past and moving forward. He says in Philippians 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Paul was adamant about Forgetting those things in the past and moving forward. Looking to what lies ahead. The precious blessings, the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. Is it possible for us to do the same? Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Shouldn't we imitate Paul in this manner? Forgetting those things that lie behind? Looking to the future? It's been said in lots of different ways about holding grudges. And really, holding grudges only hurts the grudge holder. A couple of uh, quotes here, and these are from men, so, so take them for what they're worth. To be wronged is nothing. To be wronged is nothing unless you continue to remember it. That was from Confucius. Confucius was a Chinese philosopher. One a little closer to home, Mark Twain. He said, anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured. Holding a grudge only tears us up inside. Holding a grudge does more harm to the grudge holder than to those who we're holding a grudge against. Forgetting is part of forgiveness because it helps us to move on, to put those things behind us and reach towards that upward call. The parable of the unmerciful servant 
teaches us about forgiveness. And it does so in such a powerful way. In such a way that we can understand the debt that we owe because of our sin can never be repaid. Thankfully, we have a merciful God who is able to forgive us of this debt. And what he asks in return is that we do the same for those around us. Forgive the debts around us, the debtors that owe us. God will forgive us and will forget our debt and will forgive our debt. The debts we owe the others pale in comparison to the debt that has been, give, been forgiven of us because of our sin. Think again about the comparison of the one servant who only owed a hundred denarii versus the unmerciful servant who, who owed 125,000 denarii. Learning forgiveness is essential to the life of a Christian, to a life lived to Christ. And forgetting those trespasses will go a long way for us to leading a peaceful and quiet life. As we mentioned, holding a grudge only hurts us. Forgiveness in the proper way and then forgetting helps us to move forward and to leave those things in the past. We offer an invitation at the close of our time together as we always do. We offer it in two ways. Those who have not become a child of God and those who have, are a child of God and have stumbled. Either way, if you need the prayers of the congregation, we offer this invitation. Whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.